0: So great to sort of welcome little ones into our family. And we've had such a plethora of little babies being born recently as well. We can't wait to welcome them more as well. Well, alongsiders, as Troy said, we've been thinking about this topic of alongsiders. I wonder whether you have had any time to reflect, any time to stop and think about who have been the alongsiders in my life. Maybe like in the video with Steve, they've been people that have come and stood alongside you in really hard times. Maybe they've been people who have believed in you when not many have. Or they've loved you, even though you were tricky to love at that time. Maybe they've invested financially or time or um, some other way in you. Maybe they've really helped the way you think. They've grown your thinking and understanding of the world, of God, of relationships. Maybe they've listened really well, encouraged you. Who have the alongsiders in your life been? Because as Troy said, we absolutely think this is such a great topic, which is why it is our theme for the year. And this seems to sum it up so well, what an alongsider is. And alongside it is someone who intentionally comes alongside another for the purpose of being with them so that life might be better than if they were going it alone. So who are you doing alongside, who are you doing alongsideing with right now as well? Who is it in your life that you are pouring into? And who are you allowing to pour into you as well? Over the last weeks, as you've heard, we've been looking at some practical ways. Well, how do I do this alongside? And here are some of the things that we've looked at. We've looked at how do I open the doors of my life to other people? How do I listen graciously? How do I encourage intentionally? And how do I enter into each other's suffering? And we heard a bit more about that in the video. Well, this morning, we're looking at this idea. The kindness of confronting inconsistency so when I'm alongside somebody and I know who they want to be and they speak or act in a way that is not consistent doesn't match who they want to be the kindness of confronting them with that I wonder what your internal reaction is to that title When I got the email from Troy with the list of talks and who was speaking and which title everybody got, I read mine and I gulped. And I nearly straight away phoned up Troy and said, Troy, swap me to a different title or a different date. I don't want it. I don't like this one because it's tricky. I still don't like it. (laughs) But I am here regardless. I wonder whether our reactions to this title are somewhere on a scale. And at this end of the scale, we have people who avoid conflict, who are peacemakers, who actually think that this title doesn't even make sense because there is no kindness ever in confronting anybody else about anything, let alone their inconsistencies in life. We leave that to God, or we leave that for other people to work it out for themselves. Or I wonder whether you're at this end of the scale where you go, about time we're talking about this, I reckon this should be spoken on more regularly. It is actually not possible to be a longsider without doing this. It's not real alongsiding if you're not confronting their inconsistencies. Maybe you're at this end of the scale. I personally am closer to this end of the scale. I'm not right down there, but I am much closer to this end of the scale, which is why I gulped at the moment um, when I heard that this is what I was going to be speaking on. So what do we do with this topic that is tricky and makes some of us go, ooh? We do what we do every single week, and we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus because Jesus, as we've been hearing, is the perfect example of a longsider. So we think, what does he do? And we look, and we try and become like him through his power. We're going to look at a couple of passages um, in the Bible. One is in Mark and one is in Luke. And they're both times when Jesus is an alongsideer with a couple of brothers. These brothers are James and they're John. um, And they are followers of Jesus there in the 12. But before we look at that, I want to just pause a moment and think about the culture of the day that these accounts actually take place in. So um, James and John, Jewish boys, grew into Jewish men Fishing. I think they were fishing. I didn't look like that. They're like fishermen, aren't they? <laughs> um, and um, so they're they're burly men there in the Jewish culture. Their culture is in an occupied state, so the Romans are over their culture. So as these men go about their lives, they would at times see people who have been crucified, who have been killed, strung up on a cross, because they were traitors, considered traitors, not loyal to Rome. During their life experience, they would know that if somebody was considered unclean, maybe they had a skin disease, maybe they had had to deal with their dead relative, all sorts of reasons for being unclean. They would have to be excluded for a while. It might be they just had to be excluded for a little while until enough days had gone past, now you're considered clean again. But it may be if your skin condition doesn't clear up, you are excluded for the rest of your life. They, would, they grew up in a culture uh, where if you were Jewish and you worked for the Romans, we see this a lot with the tax collector, tax collectors, everybody hated you. Everybody was disgusted by the fact that you not only are working for the enemy, but you are making a nice profit on the side to so mean you can live in splendor while we're all struggling. And also, they would have seen that if people were caught in an immoral act, that often the penalty for that was death. And so I think... <laughs> This is my thinking. I think that that whole culture would have sat further up this end of the scale than we do. I don't think they would have had quite the sensibilities, if that's the right word, that we do. I think the whole culture would have probably been a bit further um, up this end of the scale. Some might have been a bit further that way, but up this way a bit. And then within this culture, we have these two brothers, James and John. And um, they, when we're introduced to them by Jesus, are given a nickname. They're called the Sons of Thunder. Which end of the scale, I wonder, might we put the sons of thunder? They are feisty. They are macho men. And so I imagine that they're most likely, not, not necessarily at extreme, but most likely being at this end of our scale of what they would have felt about cons- um, confronting inconsistencies. <coughs> These brothers are passionate men, and Jesus chooses them to be his followers in fact, they're not just in the 12 group of his closest followers, his alongside They're actually in the three. There are times, as we read the Bible, where Jesus goes off and maybe there's a miracle. Maybe he asks them to pray. And it's Jesus' triplet, quadruplet, because there's a fourth. Peter's involved too. But they are in Jesus' triplet with him, really close with him. And as part of being in the 12, they share everyday life with Jesus too, not just the amazing things. They sit by the fire of an evening and eat meals with him. They walk the long distances from here to there with Jesus. They face the joys, the trials, the ordinary with Jesus. And I think that James and John would have always known We're chosen by Jesus. He invests in us. He invites us to be alongside him. So we're going to look at their two stories. The two stories take place um, near the end of the three years that Jesus spent with these alongsiders on earth, right towards the end. And I've got a little map for you here. So somewhere near the top of that map, you can see Galilee. And most of Jesus' three years took place in Galilee, up there. And, but Jerusalem, where all the important festivals and things like that happen, take place in Judea, which is the orangey bit at the bottom. And so it is time, Jesus knows, now is the time that I need to head to Jerusalem. So most people living in um, Galilee as Jews, if they were heading to Jerusalem or heading to Judea, they would cross over the Jordan River... They would head down through a desert in Perea, which is a nice green color. And then they would head back into Judea and head to um, Jerusalem that way. Because even though it was longer, it was easier and it was better. Because you didn't have to come into contact with the people who lived in Samaria because they were Samaritans. And the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get on very well because they believed that different places were where you worshipped, that the way you worshipped was different. They didn't agree about these things. And so our first story takes place because Jesus decides not to go that way. Jesus decides that he is going to take his disciples straight down through Samaria to Jerusalem, where he knows he's heading there to face arrest, to face death, to face all that is before him. And so this is when this first story takes place. Let's read this. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. The people of the village would have known all too well that he was going down to Jerusalem to take part in a Jewish festival. They didn't accept Jewish festivals, so Jesus wasn't welcome. Our fiery brothers do not like this, so this is what they say. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, so they went on to another village. As followers of Jesus... When you follow a rabbi, your desire is actually to become like that rabbi, to act like them, to speak like them, to think like them. In following Jesus, that was their desire. Jesus is life. Jesus came to give life, to see life flourishing in people. He still is that today. And so these words are clearly not consistent with who these disciples were meant to be. And so Jesus rebukes them, a sharp word pointing out inconsistency. We don't know what he says, but that's what he did. And wrapped around that moment of sharp rebuke is the knowledge for those two men that Jesus is utterly for them. That he is investing his life in, in them. That they can trust him. That he loves them. So what happens next? They move on. They go to another village and they stay there. And hopefully they begin to change. But they don't change completely because the next story happens very soon afterwards. So they've now entered into Judea, and they're on the road up to Jerusalem. They've stopped a little bit. Uh, Jesus has taught a bit. Um, He's met with a few people, and they're coming towards Jerusalem, and Jesus pulls them aside, and he tells them something that he's told them before, but he tells them again. He tells them what he's going to face when he gets to Jerusalem. He knows it all. He says, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be sentenced to death. I'm going to be violently flogged, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be spat upon, I'm going to be violently killed, and on the third day, I will rise again. And yet he still resolutely walks forwards towards Jerusalem, knowing all this. And so he tells the brothers this, and what do our brothers say? they come up to him and they say teacher we want you to do us a favor what's your request he asked they replied when you sit on your glorious throne we want to sit in places of honor next to you one on your right and the other on your left We know instantly that this is inconsistent with Jesus' teachings and his life. If in your Bible you open this passage and you flick back a bit or down a bit on your screen, it's not that far before that, that he's teaching about humility and he's teaching about the first will be last. And yet we have this moment where they are asking for glory. And it doesn't say Jesus rebuked them. It says Jesus asked them a question. But Jesus said to them, "'You don't know what you're asking. "'Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering "'I am about to drink? "'Are you able to be baptised with the baptism of suffering "'that I must be baptised with?' "'Oh, yes,' they replied. "'We are able.' (coughs) "'Then Jesus told them, "'You will indeed drink from my bitter cup "'and be baptised with my baptism of suffering. "'But I have no right to say "'who will sit on my right or my left.' God has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. Well, the other disciples hear what um, James and John have asked for. And they're not best pleased with it. They're angry about it. I imagine there's a bit of an argument. And so Jesus gathers them again. He gathers the 12 and he teaches them. He tells them, but among you, it will be different. He must want to say, it must be different. (laughs) But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, as we see in these stories, responds to inconsistencies, sometimes with a rebuke, sometimes with a question, sometimes with some sort of teaching. But what I love is that when Jesus first met James and John, when he first decided, I'm going to draw alongside these men and I'm going to... Invite them to draw alongside me. He knew exactly who they were because he named them Sons of Thunder. Excuse me. But he didn't, when he first met them, go right, come sit down, lads, we need to have a chat. Before you follow me, We need to sort a few things out. You've got to sort out this and this and this in your life. You have a bit of a tendency towards violence and you can be pretty arrogant at times. Let's sort these out and then we'll go ahead with our three um, years together. No, he doesn't do that. He walks with them. He slowly over time reveals his love for them, his joy in them. And when the time is right, he confronts the inconsistencies in them. And in those moments, they don't shrink and feel small and terrible. They don't turn away. They are slowly transformed. They are slowly changed. They are still passionate, strong men following Jesus, but they are transformed by him. James becomes the very first follower of Jesus to lose his life, as Jesus predicted lose his life for his faith, for his love for Jesus. John is the only one of the disciples not to be killed for his faith and is exiled um, towards the end of his life, sent away to an island. So what about us as alongside us as we look at um, who Jesus is, how he lives? What do we do in our alongsideing relationships? Because most likely there will be moments because we know who our alongsiders want to be. We most likely we will see moments when what they say or how they act is inconsistent with what they want to be. So what can we learn from Jesus? Firstly, it has got to be It has got to be wrapped up in relationship. It has got to be wrapped up in relationship. Relationship where time is spent together, where trust is built up, where there is a knowing of each other and a knowing this person is for me completely. They want the best for me. Where there is permission given to speak into each other's lives. Where there is a knowledge of, of each other. I know my alongside as where they would sit on this scale whether they're at this end or at this end of the scale. I know who they want to be, because if I don't know who they want to be, how do I know what's inconsistent with that? Where I know who they want to be, and so I can know what's inconsistent with that. Henry Cloud, who is a psychologist and an author, writes this fabulous quote. The amount of truth a relationship can handle is proportional to the amount of perceived love that is present. The amount of truth a relationship can handle is proportional to the amount of perceived love that is present. Certainly James and John knew an incredible amount of love so they could handle the truth. Secondly, we need to take our time. Jesus didn't jump in there straight away. He took his time and we need to do that too. It matters that we take time to build the relationship. It matters that we take time to check ourselves. Am I really loving this person? Am I thoroughly invested in them? Is there anything wrong in me, God, that you want to show me first before I go? Do I sort out my own log before I go and raise something with them? What do you want to say to me first? I need to check myself. Is my emotion right in this moment? And also we need to take time to pray, to pray for the person. God, be with them. And if this moment should come, then help me to know when that moment is there, to be praying about that whole situation. Help me, if I'm a follower of Jesus, to be like Jesus to this person when the time comes. And lastly, it needs to be wisely done. First of all, whether to speak or not, if we see an inconsistency. I find for myself, if I feel unsettled in it, I have to question, why am I unsettled? Am I unsettled because I don't have peace, because now is not the time to say anything? Or am I unsettled because I live down here and it terrifies me to have to say something? Because if it is that it's not the right time, then I ne- and if I have any doubt at all, I need to close my mouth and say nothing. But if it is just that I'm scared about it, then I need to be brave and at the right moment and in the right time say something. We need to give great wisdom and thought to how we say it as well, to what actually we say. Do we, if they're at this end of the scale, probably have a pretty frank conversation with them because hopefully if they can dish it, they can take it too? So do we have a fairly frank, let's have a chat, it would be really good to have a chat, or do we think of a much more gentle way that is not going to in any way crush them? Asking questions, I think, is one of the most powerful ways to do this. We know that if we ask the right questions and people can see the inconsistencies themselves, then they're far more likely to make changes than if we just point these things out to them. I was chatting uh, to one of my alongsiders, to a friend either at the beginning of the week or last week, I can't remember. And I was, she is up there with me and we both went, oh my goodness, I know I've got to do a talk on this, um, together. And so we chatted about it and we were talking about it. And we have been alongsiders sort of on and off for a, quite a lot, n- number of years. And uh, we trust each other completely. Well, I trust her completely. I'm sure we do. And we are so for each other. And she so generously pours into my life. And she said, yeah, I see things in you sometimes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. And she said, and I know the right way to deal with it. Because she knows that I'm down there. And she, know, she says, I would never point it out to you. But she's right. It would just put my back up, I think, if she did that. Even though I love her. She said, I never point it out. I asked you a question. I wait for the right time and I ask you a question. And I had memories of moments when she's asked me a question and inside I feel that little pinch. Ooh, because I don't particularly like it. But she loves me so much. And for her to want to say those things to me means I take it incredibly seriously. I don't just try and fumble an answer. I do at that moment try and fumble an answer. Uh, But I go away and I give it more thought because I trust her as an alongsider for me. So I ask again, who are your alongsiders? Who is it? in your life that you are pouring into? Who is it that is pouring into you? The band are going to come up, thanks guys. And while they play this song, we might stay sitting. If you wanna sing, you can sing or not sing, that's up to you. But we're gonna spend a bit of time reflecting in that time. To be asking, just thinking, who am I alongside us at this time? And if you think, actually, I've got a bit of space and I could pour into somebody else's life, then please do that. Ask God, who is that person? If you've got time and you're not sure, come and talk to Troy or Steve or myself. And we would love to point you in the directions, whether that's people within our community who would love people to come alongside them, or whether that's through a coach program that we're about to get going, which is really exciting, with people outside of our community. Also ask the question, who is pouring into me? Who are the people that could point those things out kindly in me and ask those questions? And if you're not sure who they are, again, be saying, God, who could those people be for me? And again, you're welcome to come and ask us about that, and we can help point you in some directions. But maybe what has stood out to you this morning... It's what a beautiful relationship James and John had with Jesus. And wouldn't it be good to have a relationship like that with Jesus? I believe through his Holy Spirit we can. That we can say as James and John every morning subconsciously would have said, I'm following that man today. I'm following Jesus today. And it may be you go again choose that again today you may have chosen that a hundred hundreds of times before but maybe you haven't and you want to say today I want to choose a man that will love me like that that will be all for me like that that I can trust completely and it may be in this time now where we listen to this song and you say God will you help me help me to know you more. Help me to know Jesus more and help me to love Jesus more because he is the greatest alongside of all.